Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. The United States needs paid family leave, and it needs it yesterday. In the United States, most people go into debt or even lose their jobs simply for having a baby or for needing to take care of a family member. Here are a few statistics that are not great. In fact, they are terrible. One in four moms in the U.S. returns to work just 10 days after childbirth. The United States stands alone as the only industrialized country with no national paid family leave policy. One in six people spend an average of 20 hours every week taking care of a sick or elderly family member. Now, this isn't just parental leave, to be clear, because the definitions of family in this country are so limited. For example, I have a friend who needed to take leave to take care of her brother, but wasn't able to be protected under the law because she was not the proper definition of a parent. That's why when we have this conversation, paid family leave is so important, not paid parental leave or just talking about the birth of a child. There is so much more to caretaking and taking care of other people than just early maternity and birth. I've written before about the coming caretaking crisis. I have an article up in Forbes, which I will link in the show notes, but the coming two decades and beyond are a remarkable time because of how much caretaking will affect everyone and how much it will affect places where work is done, employers and people looking for talent. The caretaking crisis that's coming, there's a study in Harvard Business Review that just came out. The caretaking crisis that's coming is going to radically change how we need to show up for work and the ways that we need to think about who takes care of everyone, the baby boomers, the babies, and everyone in between. As it stands today, our current family leave policies are also worsening the gaps and the inequality that we see in our country. For example, in order to be eligible for care, you need to have a job. And the best policies are often found only at the highest paying jobs. That means, as a consequence, it leaves low and minimum wage workers and people who are already unemployed even worse off and more vulnerable. And they are probably the ones that need protections like this the most. So today on the podcast, we get to have Fabiola Santiago on the show. Fabiola is a campaign manager for paid leave for the United States, PLUS, or PLUS for short, which is an organization with a bold agenda to make paid family leave a federally enacted policy by 2022. In today's episode, we'll talk about Fabiola's journey to doing this work. And then she shares how the organization was founded, her role at the company as a campaign manager, and what the policy goals are for PLUS. We talk about the ways that we can make change and what they are doing to put pressure both on the corporate company side and the legislative policy side to have us step up through campaigns, petitions, and change. And then we're going to talk about how we as individuals people listening, entrepreneurs, employees, mothers, parents, and caretakers, how we can support this and what we can do to get involved. The Startup Pregnant Podcast is a show all about working parents and families, and we take a stand for parents everywhere, especially our most vulnerable populations. As one of the wealthiest countries in the world, not having family leave or the social infrastructure to support our future generations of citizens is embarrassing and it's wrong. It's also not strategic because health reports and data show that when paid leave is enacted as a policy, we get increased labor participation from women to the tune of a 5% or $900 billion annual increase in our GDP. Not small. In addition, if we enact paid family leave policies, we reduce infant mortality by 10%, saving the lives of more than 2,000 babies every year. That doesn't even go into all of the premature babies and babies with health complications that would get the support that they need to grow and stay as healthy as they can as long as possible, which helps reduce the healthcare costs in the long term. Listen in as we get to talk about what it looks like to bring paid family leave to the United States, what this organization is doing, and why it matters. 
Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Everyone, I am so excited to have Fabiola Santiago on the show. Fabiola, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So before I get into everything you are doing with paid leave, the US, I know plus is the shorthand, I want to first hear about your background and your work story because you have worked on a number of collaborative projects from labor rights policies at the city level to the state level to housing, education and criminal justice issues. Can you take us back in time and talk about how your personal career path started and how you found your way to where you are today? Yes, of course. My career has been largely influenced by my personal lived experiences. I grew up in LA and I grew up undocumented most of my life. So when I went to college and grad school, I had to work multiple jobs to to pay for that. About around 20, uh, yeah, 2008, my mom was deported and I became my younger brother's quasi mother since she was gone. And I was also still working multiple jobs to get through college and grad school. And all that experience led me to uh, depression, which was really hard to cope with, especially being a Latina, where that issue is still very stigmatized. But I was also committed to doing something about it. And at the time, I was very involved with the student immigrant rights movement and working towards policy change. And it became evident to me then that like, no matter how many uh, skills I have to, to cope with and have better and healthier behaviors, the core of the issue was the conditions that exist in society that didn't allow me to be the best version of myself. And so I became interested in public health, again, more from like a behavioral standpoint, but was then exposed to community health sciences and my advisor, Dr. Liu, who um, was working to lessen the black and white birth outcome that gap that exists. And I became enamored with it and realized that that's where my passion lies, like changing policies, because policies affect everyone's lives. So after I got my master's, I worked with an organization that basically highlighted the unintended consequences that public policies have. And that's where I um, worked on, I led a project that looked at how wage theft or, you know, how when people aren't paid their hourly wages or given their tips or even paid the minimum and how that all affects their health. And of course, that entailed working with people who are in the low and who have lower incomes. And I also worked on other issues such as education and incarceration. Um, And again, like a a lot of the times with public policy, um, experts, policy experts look at the e- economic impacts, but don't look at the health impacts. And as a person who values health, it is important to bring that core value into these discussions. And that's exactly what I'm doing and hoping to do with paid leave, uh, with plus paid leave for the US and in the paid family leave debate in general. So that's what brought me into this work. And, you know, just generally speaking, but I also have a two year old, well, he's almost two, not quite there yet, but almost I became pregnant in 2016 and gave birth in 2017. And even as a professional uh, person, like I didn't have access to paid family leave because I decided to quit my job when I was about three months pregnant. And I started doing some uh, consulting work on the side part time. I just I wanted to focus more on the pregnancy. But when I gave birth, I mean, I didn't even really bother looking into it because I know that the US doesn't have a national paid family leave policy. I live in California. So we do have a program here, but it's pretty complex. And that's been the feedback that I get from a lot of people who live in California is that it's really difficult to navigate. So when I learned about plus and what they're doing, like it totally Uh, struck a chord and I was so excited to join the team. So that's how I arrived at Plus too. So did you start at Plus when you were, when, how old was your kid? What was the timeline? Yeah, he was almost nine months. Mm. Yeah. So the first eight and a half months I was, I took off 
And this story is really common. I hear it in so many of from so many of the advocates that I talk with, which is that it's financially stressful. People go through their savings. I definitely did that. We did that. It's just it becomes difficult and stressful to really be there for your child like and be present with them when there's like all this financial stuff looming in the back of our heads. So yeah, that was my experience. And that's why I thought it's and even and even I would consider myself extremely privileged to be able to take such a lengthy period of time off, even though it was unpaid, it was, you know, it was still quite a bit of time off, which is very different from like the national statistic, which is that one in four people who give birth go back to work within two weeks. And that's very horrendous. It's almost unfathomable. Like I end up having so many questions like how and where does the baby go? But what happened? Like there's so many questions I have around that. This is like a great chance to segue into what it plus is like, what is paid leave and the United States as an organization? And how did this organization get started? Yeah. So PLUS is a national campaign to win bold and comprehensive paid family leave by 2022. PLUS was started by Katie Bethel. She is the founder and the executive director, and she founded it in 2016. So a little bit over three years ago. Likewise, it was founded based on her personal experiences of giving and receiving care. And also she had been working on paid family leave when she was at Moms Rising since 2000, 2006. Uh, and she saw that like legislation wasn't moving. And I one thing that like really pulled me to plus is Katie's the way that Katie sees plus uh, that way that she sees paid family leave as a an economic issue, but like an issue that can is can either grow inequality or can reduce those those inequalities that exist. And actually, I'd like to quote her. She says, as a family, as family leave becomes a necessary policy for tech companies looking to attract top talent, the rest of the country sees inequality growing. And that definitely resonates with me because a lot of policies, while they're really well intended, oftentimes, if you don't have a diverse set of stakeholders at the table talking and influencing the way that policy should be crafted, then we end up creating more inequities. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it's, there are a lot of tech companies that'll make big headlines for, you know, oh, so and so offers four months of paid leave for both parents. And it applies to so few of the people in this country that it's, it's only a headline. And it doesn't actually shift anything other than as you're saying, the the disparity, the inequality. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the scope? And this may take us a while, I imagine. But can you talk about the scope of the problem? Like, w- what is the problem that we're dealing with in terms of, of lack of paid leave in the United States? Like, what does it look like right now? And what are you trying to change? Sure. So the US is the only industrialized country without a paid family leave policy. That's just ludicrous. Uh, we are like one of the wealthiest countries in the world and we still we don't have a paid family leave policy. And that translates to as I mentioned earlier, one in four women going back to work within 2 weeks of giving birth. Because paid family leave also includes caregiving leave and personal medical leave, it means that more than 40 million people or one in six people are providing uncompensated or unpaid caregiving support to a loved one, whether uh, because they're supporting them through an illness or they're at the uh, last stages of their life. And then the other thing is that over half of people who take unpaid leave do so to care for themselves. And we know that lost wages are a leading cause of medical bankruptcy. So paid family leave is an issue that touches many other issues that Americans are facing. Right. And it's going to keep getting worse with the baby boomer generation, I imagine. Exactly. Actually, every every day, 10,000 baby uh, boomers turn 65. So the, the time for a policy is now, maybe even yesterday. But like this is prime time for paid family policy because it's just affecting different populations in very different ways, which is why we're working towards a bold and comprehensive policy. What is the vision of PLUS? Like, what does it look like to transform everything by 2022? Yeah, for us, it's simply making sure that every single person that's living in the U.S. can have the time to be there with their loved ones when they are needed the most. Can you get into more specifics? Like, what does it mean at the the state and the national level or policy-wise? Like, how, how are you doing something like this? And I know it's not just you. I know it's the organization. Yeah, 
So our goal is is federal legislation, but we're also supporting and always encouraging city uh, officials and from city to state. We encourage people to expand their paid family leave policies because that moves the needle and that really encourages us to also get closer to a win of ensuring that everyone has or that we have a national paid family leave policy. We are also engaging in the private sector quite a bit. In the last two years, we have seen 20 of the top companies in the U.S. change their paid family leave policies. And this is great news because it's just creating like a race to the top. We have some of our workplace wins have helped over 6 million people have access to paid family leave right now. And that's where we're seeing the most change is in the private sector. The other thing that we're doing is really shifting culture. So what does that mean? That means that we are talking about paid family leave all the time. That means that we are highlighting people who have influence and who have a platform and really encouraging those kinds of conversations to make it into mainstream and also like affect the conversations that people are having. We have seen Serena Williams, Beyonce, Cardi B, who else? Alexis Ohanian, which is Serena Williams's husband, and Ali Wong talk about maternity leave, talk about paid family leave, but they've also talked about their experiences of giving birth or giving providing care for a loved one. And um, those are the conversations that we really want to uplift and we want to um, make sure that people are aware of because these individuals have a lot of influence and the way that they interact with an issue or the way that, that they navigate these problems that almost everyone faces at one point in their life is good for us to be having right now. You know, that reminds me, and this is a little off topic, but that reminds me of the um, the recent headlines about Meghan Markle, who has decided, I don't know if you saw this, but she decided not to do the post-birth photo op. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this? I haven't, actually. So Kate Middleton is well known for, and forgive me listeners for diving straight into pop culture now as a segue, (laughs) as a sidebar, but she always has these like glam, like posts just after baby, like I've just, I'm standing holding a child within hours after birth. And there's been a lot of conversation around how Meghan Markle has said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and, And speculation as to why, but I think it's one of those things that can help shift this cultural conversation of like, not every woman can stand up after giving birth. And gosh, darn it, we may not all have makeup artists, like, (laughs) to make us look beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's why, again, like, there is this, like, there's the, I feel like there are competing messages that we see in mainstream media and in pop culture, which is, you know, there's that, which what you just mentioned. And then there's like, let me tell you how messy actually postpartum is and how birthing and pregnancy can be. And I think that resonates more with like everyday people, which is why I think it's important to like continue to have those kinds of conversations. Right, right. And to show the spectrum of it. So when you talk about moving the needle and having a federal policy, what are the parameters for that policy? Like what is enough and what is, do you have specific recommendations for what we want to pressure our Congress people to enact? Yes, I can speak briefly about some of the things that we would like a bold and comprehensive paid yes, family policy to have. So, and these are based on some research that's being done and also just like some of the evaluations that have been happening since uh, certain states, some states have implemented their paid family leave policies. So this is, these are like the lessons learned and like these are the things that we're like seeing that are needed to really ensure that everyone can have access to paid family leave. So one of them is ensuring that, um, well, moving moving uh, the number of, of, the amount of time that people have off. In California right now, people, and I live in California, which is why I'm using that example. It was also the first state to implement a paid family policy. So um, in California, people get six weeks off. Um, we would like to see six months. That would be amazing. Why six months? Um, because people, after they give birth, and I know this is like very tailored uh, to parental leave. Um, but when people give birth, they, they need a lot of time to heal and to recover. And there are still poor postpartum appointments to go to. The medical sector will encourage six months of breastfeeding. But if people don't even have six months off, then it makes it difficult to make that happen for the people who can breastfeed. We also know that maternal uh, mental health is a real issue happening right now. 
and not having paid family leave can exacerbate a lot of the stressors that people experience. There are more specific things for communities of color. So for Black women, there is a really stark statistic, which is that they are three to four times more likely to die while giving birth or shortly after than white women, and that this controls for socioeconomic status. And what that means is that even a highly educated Black woman who has a high-paying job is still more likely to die after giving birth or shortly um, while giving birth or shortly after than a white woman with who is poor. And so we see that paid family leave, while it is not like a magic bullet and it's not going to get rid of all, all the inequities and issues that exist, it will help to reduce some of those challenges that communities face. I mean, I'm shaking my head over here because it's horrendous. Yeah, it is. I follow researchers who study this on Instagram and get various newsletters and the statistics around Black women and communities of color and just how shockingly bad people are dying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is across the board. Like the U.S. spends more money per capita in health services and in healthcare than any other country, but we still have like the highest maternal mortality rate. That's across the board. And of course, it's worse for women of color. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really sad reality, which is why again, six months is would be ideal. So that's one of the one of that's one of one of the parameters. One of them. What what are some other parameters? Well, one of the reasons why people don't participate and paid in in the programs that exist is because a lot of them don't offer one hundred percent wage replacement, and that's something that we would like to see, especially for the lowest income working people. 100% wage replacement is a necessity. People, across, again, across the country, people are living paycheck to paycheck. The cost of living has increased and we have a housing crisis. So getting less than what people are earning if they were working full time is just not going to cut it. That's a second parameter. The other one is to ensure that people have job protection Sometimes, you know, this varies and some people don't, they may have leave, they may take some time, they, some people use PTO, their, P, their PTO or vacation, which is totally wrong to begin with. But it also means that if they need more time, like they, there is no law to protect them from keeping this job, like they have to basically risk losing a job and that puts a lot more stress on the person and the family. Um, so ensuring that people have job protection is also a key element of a bold policy. And the fourth one is expanding the definition of family. I That one is important for a few reasons. One is that the nuclear family that we have in our heads or like the image of what a family looks like is not representative of most families in the United States. There are blended families. A lot of people have chosen family. And the way that a lot of laws are written, it's usually an immediate family member who can provide care for for someone. Or, you know, it has to be a spouse or a child that you can provide care to. So expanding that actually benefits, again, like communities of color, specifically black communities who often rely on aunts and grandmothers for child rearing. It also helps people who are, yeah, who just rely on friends for care and for support. And it's just more, more inclusive. That's such an interesting last one. Were you going to say another one? Those are the those are the main ones. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to this, take time off six months, one hundred percent wage replacement for the time taken off, especially for low earners, job protection, and then expanding the definition of family. What does it look like to take repeat leaves or to take a leave that isn't around the birth of a child? Are there parameters and and definitions that are part of your policy recommendations? Like what if I have to take leave for somebody that is diagnosed with cancer or dying? Yeah, I think that this is a question that the legislative director at PLUS would be able to answer more also because we're still developing some of the recommendations as we're going. But I will say that I, the way that we think of paid family leave can oftentimes be very narrow. So 
and and I'm basing like I'll share some anecdotes for, that I've heard from people. I won't share names, obviously, but. Sure. There was this woman who uh, gave birth to her child and got some time off after giving birth, but her child was diagnosed with cancer immediately after the birth of the child and needed treatments every, I believe, every six months or so. But after that initial like parental leave period, she still needed time off just, you know, because some treatments take a couple of days or, and it's every six, six months or so. So caregiving leave is also for people who have children who have like cancer or other illnesses or other needs that need to be taken care of. The other thing is that there's, there's the sandwich generation, which is includes people who are both raising children and caring for their elderly parents. So a comprehensive paid family policy would address and make sure that the person at least has form of leave to care for their loved ones. Mm. Yeah, this yeah. is a, this is a real issue. And my husband and I talk about it a lot because for people listening, if you've never heard of the phrase the sandwich generation, it's the idea that you're being sandwiched between like if we have children later and later, and it's it's in our early to mid 30s, but our parents also did something similar. So they're now in their 70s. And in retirement ages, we are there's no there's no more space, we're not having kids at 25, and then taking care of our parents at 45. We are back to back taking care of tiny newborns and taking care of our our parents at the very same time. And there isn't space to breathe in terms of the caretaking uh, demands that are required of us. Um, and please correct me if I'm getting that that right or wrong based on, on your understanding, Fabiola. No, you got it right. It is a thing, right? Like we, we talk all the totally. time, like where are our parents going to go? Who are they going to live with? Or do we want them to live with us? Sorry, mom, dad, if you're listening. <laughs> Like, you know, what do we do? So you mentioned that, that this is something the director could talk more about. I would love to ask ask you, what does the organization look like today? And how many how many people are in this organization? Talk a little bit to the entrepreneurs who are listening that are building businesses. What does this nonprofit look like? And, yeah. and how are you growing? Yeah. So when Katie Bethel founded the organization back in early 2016, I believe it was about two or three team members. We're in 2019 and we have about I think we have about 14 team members right now. We also have some consultants that we work with on a regular basis. So we're a relatively small team for being a national organization. Yeah. And we're still growing. We actually, yeah, we're still growing. Any other questions? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, do you know where you're growing to? Are you looking to expand more? Does that pay that? Does that depend on the fundraising that you're doing? Like what would, what do you think the next year or two looks like, especially as we are heading into the, the national presidential campaigns that are, they seem like they're already starting. Yeah. They are starting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Breathing down our neck. Yeah. 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 We're definitely growing. We're actually, you know, we actually go through internal shifts every once in a while, which is like part of uh, the startup culture. Um, so like being flexible, staying flexible is one of like the, the things that we all have to embody as uh, team members, which is great. And we'll be growing our, our department. So right now I'm part of the campaigns team. And so, and there are about three or four of us in that team. Um, and we work primarily with advocates and people who want to either advocate for a paid family policy at their workplaces or want to start a petition and a campaign asking like a member of Congress or a representative or some elected official to either include caregiving leave in a paid family policy or to, you know, whatever it is that they would want to ask of decision makers. So we work mostly with advocates. Then there is the communications team who is kind of, they're, they're in all, they touch like all of the the departments um, that we're a part of. But that's actually going to be embedded within a marketing team, which we are realizing is an important aspect to have in our organization and in our campaign in general, because we need to really like make sure that paid family leave is something that people are talking about even more. There's like a lot of momentum happening right now. I think a few, even a few years ago, there was a lot of silence around paid family leave. Like if you ask people, what is that? Like what is paid, like what is your paid family policy either at your workplace or in your state or your city? Most people wouldn't know, but I think that there's like a lot of interest now from lay people 
to learn more about it. And again, because the statistics show that it's affecting people on a day-to-day basis. So you ta- you mentioned these campaigns. So one of the things that you do as an organization is you have campaign managers like you, right? That's your job title, I believe? Correct. And you help to advocates come and find a way like to campaign for change. Mm-hmm. Can you take us through one of these campaigns? I saw on your website recently, you have one for Target, I believe. Oh, or- yeah. Take us through one of these campaigns and how they work. And and is this something like what can people listening do? Can they yeah. start a campaign? Can they? Yeah, there's I can share two examples because the the campaigns that we launch can look very different. So and I'll share one that I, I personally did not work in, but it's it's so good. Earlier last year, we collaborated and partner with our Walmart and our Walmart is um, an organization of Walmart workers who are trying to change the working conditions at Walmart. And there's such a powerful video that we have on our website. I mean, it, that group was just so powerful. They wanted, they had a list of demands because what was happening is that a lot of pregnant people who were who were working at Walmart were miscarrying while working. And a lot of them were, I mean, basically the, the, their rights were being violated. Of course, if that's happening, then that means that they obviously don't have like, access to paid family leave. So we partnered with them and wanted to add paid family leave on the list of the demands. We invited a couple of the leaders of our Walmart to attend a shareholder meeting where she basically asked the board um, to expand the paid family leave policy. And she named that corporate employees were getting, they that they had a paid family leave policy, but that part-time uh, hourly and field employees had nothing. And so that resulted in a win. So, um, they were able to get 16 weeks of paid family leave for full-time employees. So that was a huge win. And that's, yeah, that's something that I think, uh, they are very proud of. We're very proud of them for that. It was, it was so great and powerful. So that's one of more of our like, um, uh, corporate campaigns that we've done. And right now, actually, we are working with Congressman Jimmy Gomez. He has a roundtable happening uh, today, actually. And Jimmy Gomez is a congressman from California. He has been championing the California paid family policy here and is hoping to continue to champion it at the federal level. They know about the work that we're doing, so invited us to also invite other stakeholders to this round table. And because our team is, you know, we, we really do try to work with everyone. So we obviously work with people who are impacted by the lack of paid leave. But we also work with business leaders, HR professionals, and other elected officials who are working on this issue. And so we've been invited to also attend this round table. And at this round table, we invited one of the participants from a focus group that we had a few months ago. Um, I think I mentioned that we're also working on a report that's looking at the health impacts of the lack of paid family leave in LA specifically. You're working on this report. From what I un- I understood, it's not quite out yet. Where can you talk about like what started this research and where you're going with it? Yeah, we started this research. I believe it was um, late last year, and we wanted to uh, launch this to understand like how how are people who don't have access to paid family leave affected by it, like on a visceral level anecdotally like what does it mean like we know that the statistics are out there we there is a ton of existing research and evidence looking at the policy that we've had here in California but the the voices of people have been missing a little bit so we really wanted to amplify these experiences and what it means to not have paid family leave and so one of the members from the focus group is attending the roundtable and sharing her testimony at Jimmy Gomez's roundtable and she was also a small business owner and they had to shut down because of all the other things that was happening in her family's life. And that's happening for you today, right? This round table. Yeah. Wow. Interview after interview after interview, then a round table. So when does this paper come out or this report come out? What's the timeline look on that? 
Yeah. You mentioned earlier, like what our capacity is at plus. And so it's (laughs) been, it's, it was put on pause actually, because we've been, yeah, we just didn't have the capacity to get that to the finish line. And there's like a couple elements missing for um, missing in it. So that's why we actually just grew our team to like three or four new members, I believe in the last few months. And now we have a California campaign strategist, and she'll be taking that to the finish line. So hoping to launch it by maybe summertime. Yeah, or spring. Yeah, I'm very familiar with timelines like those, (laughs) especially as small organizations, because we at Startup Pregnant were me, uh, uh, the founder, and then I've got four contractors that I work with. Mm. And every month, it's that juggle. And I'm sure that 99% of the people listening also Mm. feel this, which is like, well, which one thing can I move forward? And you're like, but I have five. I have five that I would like to move forward. Why can I not move them all forward? And it's like, no, which one? And then things get put on hold and you're like, if only I were 27 people Mm -hmm. who also had like the ability of a single white male to be able to work late at night and not take care (laughs) of children. Maybe I could do two things at once. Um, So I joke sometimes with, uh, with, with my team and my colleagues that like collectively with the five of us, we have the manpower of a young 20 something um, unencumbered gentleman who there's, there's nothing wrong with having that much space. We just don't have it. Yeah, (laughs) you know it's like a beautiful thing to see from over here so what's next for you you personally at this organization as you continue to advocate and and build what are you what are the areas of focus that you are that you are working on yeah so one of the things that's been happening in the paid family debate is that there's been an absence of the importance of including caregiving leave in most policies. So there have been quite a few proposals that have been launched, but most of them leave out caregiving. And as I mentioned earlier, like caregiving isn't just providing care to your older parent or or family members. Like you can give care to a child who's going through cancer. Also, people need to care for themselves. So including medical leave in there, personal medical leave in there is very, is vital. So for me personally is collaborating and working with people who um, are interested in ensuring that that element is not is is, um, included in in a proposal. And so that means building relationships with people, getting them looped into like what's happening politically, and also like giving them the tools that they need to speak about their experiences with authenticity with agency and what we call Moral, what is that word that we call it? With, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it. Give me one second. We'll discover it together. It happens to me all the time. I'm, my little one is six months old, and then like five minutes later, I'm like, oh, that's the word I was looking for. (laughs) He said authenticity and agency for like how people tell and share their stories. And then what's that moral authority? Thank you. Moral authority. There we go. We found it. No problem. It's like toys and children. What do each of those things mean? Like when, when we, when we talked, like giving people the ability to tell their stories and to be able to take ownership over them, which is what agency is, right? And to say like, no, this happened, this matters. Why is it important to have these, these? Another word. Uh, yeah. Hunt. Benchmarks, standing yeah, points, and, goalposts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So authenticity is important because um, we don't want to just find anyone or like, you know, like look for someone like, oh, you fit the description of what, you know, what what we want. Go ahead. That's very inauthentic. So we want to make sure that people can share their, their experiences authentically. I also said agency, those go hand in hand, because the thing about a lot of these experiences is that they're very personal and very vulnerable. And depending on where, like what stage they are in that process of giving or providing care or healing, like some people will feel more comfortable sharing their stories than others. And so if they're not ready, like we totally respect that. But if they're, but we have also like talked to people who are just so fired up and we want to like be of support to those voices who are like super fired up to share their stories. And that's where the authenticity comes in. And like for them to guide the narrative, because that's like a very important part of culture change. And that also happens with fathers. Like oftentimes, like we haven't launched too many (laughs) campaigns with fathers, actually, we're looking to, but it's so important that they talk about, like, talk about what it means to have paid family, what it means to bond with their children. Again, these are very vulnerable and personal topics. So 
ensuring that they can do it authentically and on their terms is important for a successful campaign. This is so important. I'm thinking about this as you're saying it because because it just reflecting on the idea of like, oh, we're going to make culture change and here's what the culture change needs to be is a very, what's the word? Prescriptive. Prescriptive. I don't know, that's what comes to mind. Like colonizing, maybe? point of view, which is like, I have an idea and it is going to be the way that I say. It's a very top-down approach, prescriptive, exactly what you're saying. And and this idea that there needs to be space for the stories to inform the change and listening to be a part of it. Oh, I think it's so, so critical. And I mean, it reminds me just a little bit because here at Started Pregnant, we talk to a lot of people about their pregnancy journeys. And I actually have a lot of people who I interview that um, go through things like abortion, early loss, pregnancy loss, infertility, and you know, I'm blanking now, but like other things that are big, and, and they say, I want to do an interview, but I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. And and we always say, why don't we record the interview, and then you are free to decide. I'll never publish it yeah. if you change your mind, because it gives me such great information just to hear these stories. But people mm-hmm. aren't sure mm-hmm. if they they may share the whole story and say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that being out there. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So- yeah. And that's part of relationship building. And that's part of building trust. Like people are handing us their experiences. And we have to be very careful and gentle with those experiences. And they're not ours to take and manipulate and shape however we want. We want to make sure that it still has its essence. And that people who are sharing these stories, like that when they're ready to launch it, if they are ever ready to announce it to, uh, you know, a broader audience that they feel empowered to do that, not pressured. Yeah. And I think that that's why we've had like quite a few successful campaigns. And while like, you know, ensuring that um, the advocate's voice is and their tone is really central to that. Yeah. I also said moral authority. Yes. And I'd like to go a little bit into that. But you know, yeah, like in in paid family leave, like, you know, and my personal like, and my personal interest is to ensure that people who are marginalized and people who need paid family the most, which are often low income communities of, of color, that they're when they share their experiences, like they have the moral authority to share that, like, you, you mentioned it earlier, like, it can't be a top down approach. And we can't craft a policy and say, like, I think that what this population needs is XYZ. I think this is the moment when we like step back and make the space to listen to them and ask them, like, what would a good policy look like? And that's what like, they are the ones who have that moral authority because they've lived it. And that's part of what we're trying to do with this um, health impact report. Oh, that is so interesting. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I'm actually like, can I share a little bit about the person who's going to Jimmy Gomez's roundtable? Yes, this is is like why I have you here. I want you to share everything. So please feel free. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. So she's so powerful. Because so Let's see this, like the topics that she's covering, which again, are her, her personal experiences are, are things that we need to be talking about because they're still stigmatized. So she, this woman, I'm not going to name her yet. I'm not, I don't have her permission, but you know, she's at the round table with Jimmy Gomez. She was a small business owner with her husband and she had um, her third child, I believe it was in 2016. She lost her father two days before she gave birth. And that is not the first person that I hear that has that experience where they are losing a loved one around the same time that they're welcoming in a new family member. Yeah. And that's very emotionally difficult and challenging. And it's it, it's just emotionally heavy. And she shared that initially it didn't dawn on her. She kind of just like blocked that out. But about a month after um, giving birth, it just hit her that she had lost her father because they had a small business that, as she says, that was like on its last leg. They were basically forced to shut down and she stayed at home. Her Her husband got a job, so he had to take he became the sole income earner. And I think he only took like four days off after they um, welcomed their new child. So all of these experiences, she said, is led her to experience postpartum depression. And she's Latina. So she said that 
initially I also was like, no, this doesn't happen. Like my mom, my family, like we, we say that it doesn't exist. <laughs> and her oldest son was going to therapy. And it was when they were in a therapy session that the therapist said, like, I think you may be experiencing postpartum depression. She said that she wouldn't want her kid near her. She wouldn't want them to touch her. And that one of the scariest moments of her, of that, one of the scariest moments for her was when she was trying to put her baby down for a nap, but the other kids were playing around and were being very loud and she wasn't able to do it. So she locked herself in the room with her newborn and was just thinking, I need to shut up. I need to shut these kids up. Like, how am I going to shut them up? And she says, and it wasn't just like, you know, how do I like, um, should I turn on the TV or like give them candy or like, no, like she, like it was a scary thought is what she says. So she got on the phone and called her husband and said, you need to come home now. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you need to come and get these, the kids because I'm scared that I'm going to hurt them. And she said that she had a reflective moment and said, thought to herself, oh, this is what postpartum depression is. Like I could never wrap my head around like reading what it is. Like she read about it and she always thought like, why would anyone do that? Like, that's how, like, how is that possible? Why would anyone want to hurt their children? And then she says, and in that moment, I understood. Um, and she says that she shares that experience because mental health is a stigmatized still in a lot of communities, but like postpartum depression is like a real thing. And she says, I really think that having at least six months of paid family leave would have helped me with this. And I think that it has the ability to reduce the, the postpartum depression rates that we have. And LA has a pretty high postpartum depression rate. I'm, I mean, oh my gosh, keep going. You, this, I'm just, my heart's breaking when I hear about this because no one should be under that much stress. And postpartum depression, it is unbelievable how many people it affects. Yeah, it really does. And you just don't like, yeah, people, yeah, there's, there's another woman, Jacqueline, who also talked about that. And that was like, you know, it's, it could get very serious. Like, I think a lot of people experience like the baby blues or like initially, like, they're just like, wait, I know this is like my baby and I'm supposed to love it, but like, I don't know it. <laughs> and that's <laughs> why like paid family leave is important because like, it's not like this baby comes out and then like you're immediately enamored with that child. Like you are to some level, but like, at least in my experience, I was like, oh my gosh, like, who is this little human? I need to get to know him. And like, it's going to take time. So bonding takes time. It's not like a one-time thing. And when people have to go back to work really soon after giving birth, like we're not forming those bonds and not forming those bonds has like very long-term effects. So if we want to talk about like investment, investment in the future, like we need to start investing in like families. We need to start investing in children because that's what's going to have like, I know people like ROI. So like return on investment, we start from the beginning. <laughs> it's so true though. Like how many, how much could we save in terms of healthcare costs if we had better prenatal and postnatal care? And how much could we just gain economically? Actually, I think you have this on the website. I remember seeing it somewhere like the, the, it's not just like a nice to have. It's not like, oh, paid family leave is great for the families. It's also really great for public policy because we can make so much more money and save so many lives. Do you yeah. do you know those statistics offhand? I actually don't know them offhand, but I, I would like to talk about like why it's good for business in general. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of companies lose on lose lose talent and they have a higher turn turnover rate um, when they don't have a good paid family policies than, than those who do. And that actually like affects their bottom line. Like, yeah, it takes, it takes time. It takes resources. It obviously takes money to hire someone new and going through that entire process. And so having a paid family policy at a company can often like, that's what keeps people at a, at a company. I mean, a plus we have like, you know, six months, I mean, but in, in the city of San Francisco and in California, we already have like a, a decent program. So, um, you know, it only, it only helps us to stay there and it, it keeps employees loyal, loyal. The other thing about uh, the business sector is that we have seen companies like, I believe it was 
definitely uh, Microsoft, but I think it was Google who are, they're also asking to work with uh, companies like, what do you call it? The, um, what they work with, what kind of companies? Well, basically they're contractors, you know, like, like a lot of times. Yeah. With their consultants, like whenever they hire like a, a oh, I saw this. firm, they require that those companies provide paid family. So maybe I can give a, a, an example to articulate this better. Yeah. So Google, you know, there's people who are employees of Google and then there's like cafeteria workers, the Google bus drivers, there's uh, people who provide services to Google, but they're not employees, right? And yeah. so like whatever benefits Google employees get, people who work at Google, but not for Google, they don't get those benefits. And so now there's been a push to like, ensure that whoever they're contracting with, like whatever other companies are contracting, that those companies provide paid family leave to employees or their contractors, mm. which is great because a lot of times those employees are low wage or like hourly. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Which comes back to the thing you were saying in the beginning that paid leave in the United States right now is, is this really elite privilege. Like mm-hmm. low wage jobs don't have access to paid leave, which is the, those are the people that need it the most. Exactly. So can you talk about, you've touched on it in a couple of different examples um, in our conversation so far, but I want to make sure we have space for it exclusively. Can you talk about mothers of color? Because I know that you're involved in research and focus groups around the health impact on paid family leave on people of color. Is there more that you're studying and that you've found that you want to make sure our audience knows about? Yeah. So this week is actually Black Maternal Health Week, which is great. (laughs) Um, And I know this is getting recorded and going to be launched at some other point. But we have finally Black Maternal Health Week. There is finally some awareness happening about the, the inequities that exist in birth outcomes. And as I mentioned earlier, the fact that like black women are three or four times more likely to die while giving birth or shortly after giving birth than white mothers, that's like a serious issue. And there's what I want to highlight in that though, is that this has been happening for a long time. Like this isn't news for like people who are parts of part of this community. Um, This has been going on for like, I mean, statistically for about 35 years, like these health inequities have been existing. And before that, we know that like, you know, even like black people were not seen as capable humans to take care of their children. You know, they were taken away. And that is true for indigenous people as well, which again, are those are the populations that have some of the worst health outcomes and birth outcomes and, and uh, more specifically. So that the, pro- the problem is there and the, the problem has been talked about a lot But what we don't hear a lot about is the solutions that are being worked on. So on the paid family leave side, I think that ensuring that Black women are part of this conversation is so important because it will, it is, you know, it does have the capacity to, and the ability to shift some of those inequities and reduce some of those risks that happen in black communities. The other thing that's happening a lot, which is so great to see, is that black midwives and doulas are doing so much work right now to really fill the gap. What I want people to know about the about like these inequities is that it's rooted in racism. Like the everyday, like the day-to-day microaggressions that people of color experience have a wear and tear on the body. It's putting people in chronic stress mode. And stress is good. It's actually really good for your body. But too much of it and all the time makes it so that it's not able to even recover. And that actually has very physical impacts on the body. Like that's why there's like high blood pressure. That's why there's like diabetes. But yeah, so like this has been happening and it's more like of the systemic thing. And like the doulas and birth workers are filling in that gap and providing care to this population that is like so marginalized. There is, I'd like to give a shout out actually to Roots of Labor Birth Collective who are providing care, not just for like people of color, you know, they use the term like womb carrier and like people more generally, like it's, they use more inclusive language, which I really love, but they also provide care to people who are in jail 
and who are womb carriers. And I think that that's really important because one thing that's missing in paid family leave is that this includes or this policy is what address the needs of people who are working. And we know that the unemployment rate in like communities of color is also pretty high. So it still leaves out like quite a large portion of those populations. So yeah, they're giving... Uh, wait, they're I didn't quite their- catch that. What leaves out a huge percentage of those? Po- what leaves well, them the out? Well, un- the unemployment rate. Oh, and so tie that together for me. I just think I'm I'm yeah. missing it because it's late in the afternoon for me or or no worries, tell me again. Maybe I, I probably <laughs> spoke really fast too. So paid family leave, like in order to qualify for that, it means that people have to be working. Oh, right, right. But if there's a high unemployment rate or higher unemployment rate in communities of color, that means that that population or that portion of the population is already automatically excluded from even accessing paid family because you would have to have a job in order to access this. So the reason why I was highlighting Roots of Labor Birth Collective is because they have this cool campaign called Everyone Deserves a Doula. And I've heard a similar campaign that other um, birth workers of color are doing, which is that regardless of like income, like people who are pregnant need to have a doula. Like if we really want to change the health outcomes for black women and and people of color, then like we need to provide care to everyone. I have a question about that. And I don't know if there's an answer yet. It's just something I've thought about. Yeah. Do you know if uh, doula work changes outcomes depending on whether or not the doula is a person of color? Like would... Do you know what I'm asking? Like if there are white women that are providing doula services to low income and um, communities of color, is it as effective uh, as um, women of color providing services to women of color? Yeah, I think it, it definitely matters. It does matter. I don't know what the statistic is or like what a key finding is, but um, it does matter. And I can, that's also something that I've heard like from other, uh, from people who provide like who do uh, birth work which is that oftentimes when women of color, black women go into a doctor's office, like their complaints or their concerns are often muted. They don't feel seen and they don't feel heard. And most of the time, because most of the time they don't have access to a doctor who looks like them. And that does affect the way, like, these are kind of like the microaggressions that we're talking about on an institutional level. Like, you know, when a hospital doesn't have like one black doctor, like, that's like what we call institutional racism, right? And so when we have doulas of color who are providing care and support to a pregnant person of color, then it just changes a the power dynamics, which is like kind of this unseen thing that I think also changes like the the energy that is in a room. Um, I think people feel more comfortable. Actually, there there has been some study in this that like people who have a provider that look like them will be more likely like will be more honest about like their conditions and like more honest about like just kind of like the medical questions that they ask, like, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you exercise? Like all those kinds of things that they, they ask, like they'll be more honest, which, you know, like honesty is good. <laughs> well, it also helps you get the help that you need. Like if you, if you are lying to your provider because you are scared of being judged, it's a double whammy and then you don't get the help that you need or the preventative interventions that might assist in reducing the mortality rates because things like institutionalized and systemic racism are, are pervasive everywhere and, and inside of all of us. I think this is something that, pe- that like is really hard for people to wrap their head around when they, when they think about racism and themselves and like what it means. It's like, well, I'm not racist. And it's like, actually, we all are. Like every time I see something on the, in the interwebs that says like the surprising racist history of tea, I'm like, do you do realize we come from a racist country? Like this is yeah. our past. It's everywhere. It's steeped into into all the things, and it's our job to look for it and yeah, and it takes ad- a, advocate and change. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it takes personal a personal commitment to transform ourselves and to and to transform our systems. Like I think for me, and maybe a lot of people, it's easier to call out like when it's like institutional or like systemic racism or other forms of oppression really. But like when we say something or do something that's slightly racist, like we just shy away and want to hide under the covers and and like pretend like it didn't happen. But those are such good opportunities to like change the way that we handle those situations. 
it's we're not bad people. That doesn't mean you're a bad human. It means that there's just more growing to do. And so I think that like instead of like avoiding that conversation or not talking about it, that actually does more harm than good. And ultimately, like we are one human race and like the like making sure that black women, women of color have like excellent health outcomes and that they're as healthy as everyone else is only going to help everyone. Like we need to start thinking, in my opinion, more abundantly, like having healthy white people or like healthy black and brown people doesn't mean that we're going to now have unhealthy white people. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that way. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. I really appreciate the ways that you're phrasing this and and telling these stories too, because it's it's in ways I haven't heard, which is really um, powerful. So, what can an individual do? This brings us really nicely to one of my last questions. Like, what what do the people who are listening who are doing the dishes, putting kids to bed, um, navigating bath time, commuting to work, uh, driving in the car. They are listening to this right now. What can, what actions can they take after listening to this, this conversation and where do they go from here? Yeah. So they can visit our website, which is paidleave.us. And we, you can check out some of the campaigns that we've won. We also have a resources link where you can find all the resources that um, most of the steps that I mentioned can be found on our website. Uh, You can also join the movement by sending your email and you'll get updates uh, from plus regularly. You know, the other thing that just more like a more tangible thing to do is then there's like three categories of people that I'm thinking like, so because I know that um, a lot of the folks that you've had on your podcast are entrepreneurs or business owners or aspiring to do that. Yeah. And what what's important to know about that is that if we want small businesses to succeed, and we do, then a federal legislation is going to be so important in ensuring the success of a business. Like there's just no way that like small businesses can cover the cost of everything, which is why we need support from small business owners to really support paid family leave. For people who are transitioning from like one job to, you know, in a transition period, like when you get to that point where you're negotiating for your salary and benefits, I really encourage people to um, negotiate their benefits and like ask, well, what's the paid family policy? Well, and, and, you know, you know who you are, like, you know what your skills are and like what you bring, what you would bring to a company or an organization. And it's a great moment to really like name all the things that you need in order to be committed to that organization or that company. The other group that I'm thinking of is for people who have been working at an organization or company for a long time and have some decision-making power, such as like an HR leader, or even, yeah, just anyone with some decision-making power, like you can still change your paid family policies. If you go to our website, there is, let me see if I can find it. But um, if you go to our website, you can find some of the um, resources that we have for people who want to change their paid family policies. It's under resources, and then there's um, a workplace policy link that you can click on if you would want to do that. We also at some point offered some coaching, some one-on-one for people who wanted to change their policies. Um, We're taking a very limited number of that now just because it's very time intensive. Um, But for anyone who's serious about changing their, their policies at work, like we really encourage them to like either check out our resources and like reach out to us if like that's a commitment that you want to make. Mm. And then like for those who do have like really good policies, take it, take it unapologetically because that's also part of uh, shifting culture. Like when we see dads take up all of the leave that they have available, that encourages other people to do the same thing. And that is what changes the culture around like who, who is paid family leave for, for, and what does it mean to be a father or, you know, a parent? I think that sometimes we get really caught up in like being overly productive and like, like seeing our value as human beings and how much we produce and what the work that we do. And those things are very important. I mean, they're important to me, but it's not, that's not everything. And I really encourage people to like take the leave that they need unapologetically and like unshamefully, like don't be ashamed to take like, you know, some companies actually have 52 weeks. Netflix is actually what I'm thinking of. I would say like, take it. But I also like, I know that some people need to go back to work sooner because it's also important for their mental health. 
So, you know, find wherever it is that feels good for you and take that time off because that's, that actually reminds me that um, some companies are like reducing the number of weeks that they're, they're providing because people aren't taking it. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. That's fascinating. Fabiola, this has been an amazing conversation. I could talk to you for another hour at least, but I want to be mindful of our time as well. And I know you're off to a big roundtable coming up this afternoon. Where can people follow you on the social webs and plus on the social webs? And where can they find out more information? Yeah, so uh, our Twitter handle is paid leave US. And we're very active on uh, Twitter, you can also find us on um, Facebook and on Instagram, same same handles, uh, paid leave US or plus. And I, I'm not as active on Twitter, but sometimes I post it's Wahak the talk that's O A X A. T-H-E-T-A-L-K. I'm Oaxacan. I'm indigenous from Mexico. So yeah, I, it's all mine. My t- the the are mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone listening, we're so grateful that you could join us and for the advocacy work that you do both at your organization and beyond. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you found this episode useful, valuable, and informative, I have a few more episodes that you might appreciate that talk a little bit more about issues that we brought up today. Go back in time all the way to episode number two for our interview with Annie Dean and looking at how we can design flexible workplaces that make more sense for parents and families. Or if you're fired up, check out episode number 23 with Sarah Lacey of Chairman Mom, where she talks all about overthrowing the patriarchy and why there may be a power or political agenda behind not granting paid leave policies. If you want to dive into more on the conversation about race, social justice, and getting politics into your business and what that looks like, check out episode 36 with Tepsi. Two more that you might like include planning ahead for maternity leave as an entrepreneur, episode number 65 with Ariana Taboada. And episode number 75, we talk about what it looks like to transition back to work after a career break with Rita Kakati Shaw. Because oftentimes when faced without time or paid leave, you need to plan ahead for your own maternity leave and figure out a way to make it work. That's what Ariana talks about in episode number 65. But sometimes you take a break and it ends up being one or two or three years and you realize, how do I get back into my work life if that's where I am today? Take a listen to episode number 75 if that's you. I will put all of these links into the show notes and you can always find the episode number either by scrolling through your podcast player and looking for the episode number or you can go to startuppregnant.com and then type backslash 065075002, whatever the number is that I just listed, enter the three sequence number onto our website and you can find our episodes. If you want to browse through all the episodes we've done, you can go to startuppregnant.com slash archive and see everything that we've put forward and put out to date. Thanks for listening, everyone. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.